Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemop podcast. We are a global, open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we'll be hearing from leading experts as they share their views on how measurable residual disease may shape the future of multiple myeloma care. First up, Natalie Callender from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health in Wisconsin highlights important findings relating to MRD data from the Myeloma 11 trial and reports research data on circulating tumor cells. I have the privilege of sharing this uh, uh, with Dr. Marav Leba from Israel, and uh, we actually have kind of a, a mixture of things in our particular oral session. So ranging from an update on MRD data from the uh, uh, Myeloma 11 trial. So this is a trial, a very large trial from the United Kingdom that previously showed letalidomide maintenance actually benefited all patients, uh, even those with high risk, although not as much. But what they're presenting in our session is actually MRD data, which not surprisingly, as if you've seen a lot of this, is uh, MRD negativity rate, particularly if determined at six months after a transplant, if that was your assigned arm, you actually had a significant reduction in both uh, uh, chances of relapsing and also survival. And so I think this is, again, underscoring how MRD seems to be an important surrogate for how a patient will do. And uh, I think there are many abstracts here that are going to be looking at MRD uh, negativity rates as part of other trials. And this is just one of them in our session. We're also going to be looking at an abstract that is comparing circulating tumor cells with bone marrow plasma cells in a a number of patients, trying to see if there's any sort of molecular differences. Um, This particular uh, in in, abstract, investigation didn't really show that there were different clusters of differentiation, but they did show that there seemed to be a correlation between uh, bone marrow plasma cell proliferation and the number of CTCs. And so there are there are quite a few presentations here at IMW that are looking at CTCs, um, not to mention uh, the number of, of uh, abstracts that are going to be incorporating MRD analyses as well. Uh, one of the most exciting presentations is going to be led by Dr. Sagarlonial, where he is updating iberitamide combinations, iberitamide being a cerebellin E3 ligase modulator or cell mod drug. It's been presented in combination before with both daratumumab and bortezomib, most recently at ASCO. So what he is presenting at this uh, 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 workshop is data with carfilzomib. And this also looks like a very good combination in patients who are previously treated and actually progressing within 60 days of their last uh, treatment. So I think this is going to be a very big presentation as well. There's also um, a very interesting presentation from France in our session where they're looking at actual therapy delivered in a large number of patients uh, uh, throughout France. And I think it's very eye-opening about what patients are actually getting treated in a real-world situation, uh, with most of them getting a thalidomide combination up front and second line being Lendex. Um, it'll be very interesting to look at this in terms of the differences between what we might see in the United States versus elsewhere. So those are just some of the, the highlights of, of the session. There, I, think, I think it's going to be a very good one. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion at this meeting as well about the role of CAR-T. There's going to be some updates in both data from the CARTITUDE-1 and CARTITUDE-2 trials. That's using cell. 
uh, as the CAR-T product. And also there is going to be an update with Idacel. I think there's going to continue to be a discussion going on right now if you can really show that one product or one um, CAR-T approach is superior than the other. I know there are people who think that, that that's definitely the case, but I think we're just waiting to see all this data mature, particularly from the trials that are using CAR-T intervention earlier in, a, in the treatment course. Secondly, Luciano Costa from the UAB School of Medicine in Birmingham, Alabama, updates us on a single-arm multi-institutional trial in patients with newly diagnosed multiple myeloma, which tailored the duration of combination therapy following transplantation based on MRD response. Hi, my name is Luciano Costa. I'm a professor of medicine at the O'Neill Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. At this uh, 18th uh, IMW, I'm presenting uh, on behalf of my colleagues from the COMIT consortium, the primary endpoint final results of the master study. So this study was uh, of a, a single arm multi-institutional trial that we performed in the United States for patients with newly diagnosed multiple myeloma, uh, where we test a combination of daratumumab, carfuzumib, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone. Uh, contrary to most studies where patients receive a certain therapeutic plan, regardless of their uh, adaptive response, what we did in the study is we adapted the duration of therapy uh, according to their patient's response. So patients receive four cycles of direct ARD induction, an autologous transplant, and then uh, up to eight cycles of direct ARD, depending very much on the clearance of MRD. So MRD was assessed by next-generation sequencing at the end of induction, post-transplant, and then if patients require consolidation after four cycles and after eight cycles of consolidation. And therapy continues until patients has two consecutive MRD results uh, being negative, that means uh, less than 10 to minus 5, according to IMWG criteria, and the international harmoni uh, harmonization for MRD reporting. Also in this trial, our, our outcomes reported for MRD are by intention to treat. So all patients are in the denominator. And what we found first is not surprising, DiraCare-D is a very active regimen. We had over 99% uh, of response. Um, and of those 123 patients that we uh, recruited, uh, the patients were somewhat older and uh, sicker than the patients that are seen in other newly diagnosed trials with quadruple therapy. We did not have an age limit, so 20% of the patients were older than 70. Um, and we allow patients with ECOG of two. So 20% of the patients had uh, ECOG performance status uh, of two. We also had an enrichment for patients with high risk cytogenetic abnormalities. Uh, as a consequence, we end up with about 43% of the patients being standard risk, 37% having one high risk abnormality, that means um, 17P or 414 or 1416, 1420, or gain amplification of 1Q. And 20% of the patients being what we call ultra high risk, those are patients with one uh, with two or more high-risk abnormalities. So in the results, we had overall at 80% of the patients achieving MRD negativity uh, less than 10 to minus five. And sur surprisingly, that rate was similar between patients with uh, zero, one, 
or two plus high risk Saturday night abnormalities. It was respectively 78, 82, and 79%. If you look at 10 to minus six, the overall MRD negative rate was 66%, and there was 64, 73, and 58% uh, according to a zero, uh, one, or two plus high risk cytogenetic abnormalities. If you look at the uh, International Myeloma Working Group standard response assessment, uh, the overall response rate was over 99%. Uh, 86% of the patients achieve uh, a CR or better, um, and including um, uh, over uh, um, 89% of the patients who were already in VGPR or better at the end of induction. The regimen was relatively well tolerated. Uh, we had the most uh, common uh, severe adverse events were thromboembolic events and pneumonia. So from this study, we conclude that, yes, you can do MRD response adaptive therapy in a multi-institutional setting that was applicable to 96% of the patients. And I think uh, we had overall 72% of the patients who met those that criteria to go on observation and MRD surveillance. So this approach of a highly active upfront regimen enables us to uh, now having uh, this approach of MRD surveillance without maintenance therapy. And I think future trials should look at possibility of de-escalation of therapy uh, for patients who are early achievers of deep response. Conversely, uh, we saw a few progressions on therapy, particularly among those patients with ultra high risk disease. And for those patients, I think it's going to be important that new upcoming studies introduce novel therapies, particularly novel immunotherapies that go beyond uh, quadruple therapy uh, as we have currently established. Thirdly, Frederick Schiersvold from the Oslo Myeloma Center of Oslo University in Norway deliberates the viability of MRD-based adaptive therapy in multiple myeloma. Well, the short answer is no, not at the moment. Um, MRD status has shown great um, uh, prognostic value uh, and is sort of enticing us to think, should we guide treatment by this um, known prognostic value? And that could be done mainly in two, two, maybe three ways. One is to intensify treatment in patients that uh, do not uh, become MRD negative. One other option is to de-intensify treatment in patients who achieve MRD negativity. You know, today we, we just treat patients the same with the same long-time uh, approach to treatment um, and, and uh, in the future we might uh, intensify treatment in MRD positive and de-intensify MRD negative and, and the third way of using MRD is to treat relapse from MRD negativity early when they become MRD positive so I think um, th these are all, all um, reasonable options. Uh, but the bottom line is that 
we need to have studies show that this is uh, the right way to, to move forward. That means that uh, if you want to intensify treatment in MRD positive, you need to know that that actually benefits the patient and doesn't just give more, more side effects, more toxicity. And if you want to de-intensify de MRD negative patients, you need to know that uh, this is actually, uh, actually good for the patients and not uh, depriving them of good long-term treatment. And with relapse treatment, you need to show that it actually benefits the patients to start relapse treatment earlier uh, without, uh, instead of having less treatment and less toxicity while waiting for the progressive disease we today treat. So I think the data are very good for prognosis, uh, uh, for a prognosis, but uh, not to guide treatment. However, there are, as I will show in the, in the talk, um, many studies trying to answer these questions. Uh, so in the, in the coming time, we will eventually get uh, the results from these treatments and know more certain uh, that uh, to guide treatment by MRD results will be beneficial for the patients. And hopefully it will, because I think it will, uh, if it turns out uh, as we want and expect, uh, I think the results might be better for all patients when we, when, when we guide treatment by MRD status. But today, I don't think we have the data to do that. Next, Nani Kirsch from Adaptive Biotechnologies in Washington reports on work by a consortium of academic, industrial and governmental partners detailing the role of MRD in multiple myeloma. So this was a second white paper that was put together by a consortium of uh, academic, uh, industry, government and uh, other foundations uh, that was uh, designed to look at um, the use of measurable residual disease, or MRD, in myeloma uh, as a guide to clinical management and to provide both uh, background into its current status as well as the technologies involved, the regulatory considerations, and uh, even case studies where the use of measurable residual disease can be uh, directly incorporated as part of the overall consideration of how to manage a patient. Um, so there were sections that, again, were written by academics. There were sections that were written by uh, representatives of the Food and Drug Administration in the US. Um, and there were sections that were written by biotech and, and pharma. Um, you know, as is underscored in this current IMW meeting, um, MRD is beginning to be recognized as a tool that can be uh, provide more and more insight into a patient's clinical status, response to therapy, um, and uh, um, uh, tumor burden and over time. Um, these are critical considerations now, and in particular uh, uh, in myeloma. 
15 or 20 years ago, you know, having a highly accurate, standardized and sensitive me uh, method of monitoring residual disease um, would have been viewed by a number of myeloma physicians as a luxury. Uh, they would say, uh, you know, I should be so lucky as to have to worry about whether after <laughs> induction therapy, my patient has or, you know, one in a million residual cells left in their bone marrow. Okay. But as actually due to the efforts of many of the people who are attending this meeting, the, you know, number of drugs that have now been approved over the past decade for the treatment of patients with myeloma uh, has been uh, really amazing. And it's not just the approvals, but it has led to a change in the uh, expected outcome for patients with myeloma that is really one of the current success stories where, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, progression-free survival was measured in months, and now clearly it's measured in years. Given that, and given all of these new therapies which are directed at many, many different targets and which use a variety of methods on their own, it is absolutely essential to have a highly accurate, standardized, and sensitive way now of measuring disease and of measuring a response to therapy. Um, for the past five years, if you go to a number of professional society meetings, um, you will hear, and actually there was even one at this meeting, uh, point, counterpoint, is MRD ready for prime time? There's no question. Not only is it ready for prime time, in many cases, it is actively being incorporated routinely into the clinical management of patients with myeloma. Now, that doesn't mean that clinical trials are no longer important. Clinical trials are absolutely important, and that's how new drugs are evaluated and get developed, etc. But a clinical trial, um, you know, you can have both. They're not mutually exclusive. You can have a clinical trial in order to look at the best time point for measuring MRD or how to incorporate MRD into maintenance or what new drug uh, regimen or combination uh, is the most efficacious. But at the same time, there can be a patient sitting in front of you who needs guidance as to how to proceed in his or her course of therapy today, not two years from now when there will you know, be the results of another clinical trial. So MRD is a way of both, uh, it's a tool that is used in drug development and in clinical management as per clinical trial questions, but today it is also a tool that is directly relevant to the real time care of a patient with myeloma, and there have actually even been papers published 
uh, within the past couple of years of real world experience from major medical institutions using MRD in order to direct patient care. Lastly, Philippe Moreau of Nandes University Hospital in France concludes this podcast by discussing the outstanding challenges that MRD faces before it can be incorporated into routine clinical practice. This tool, uh, MRD, is well, very well known by uh, the physicians, hematologists, because we are using MRD already in other diseases uh, than multiple myeloma. We have to consider that the results are not, well, we have to wait a little bit when we are doing this, the, the test, the samples. Currently, we have to do bone marrow aspirates as well. It is relatively time consuming. The cost is not zero and we are not yet ready to drive the treatment to adapt the strategies according to a, a result, a single result of MRD positivity or MRD negativity. But, well, the moment will come. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. Visit VJHemonk.com for more updates on cutting-edge research in the field of multiple myeloma from leading experts. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.